Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Mahlon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. Now they took wives of the woman of Moab, the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Mahlon and Kilion also died, so the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Okay, verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters-in-law. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say... I have hope. If I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Verse 15. And she said, Look, Your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried The Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me, parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? But she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home empty again. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite as her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. It is the source of life. It is the source of sustenance and strength. Your word is what helps us to be steadfast and immovable. Uh, Your word is where we learn about you, the steadfast and immovable God. As we look at Ruth chapter 1 today and we study Hebrew narrative, I pray that um, 
each one here, that they may have a better understanding of how stories work, how this story works, and even then, how it applies to our lives. Help us to read a familiar story, be reminded of truths forgotten, and maybe even learn something new from this familiar story. I pray that we would worship you, honor and glorify you, the great God who you are, as we work through this text. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's kind of interesting, as a father, you're working to try to teach your children to read God's Word. And I remember even as a child, you know, complaining, my mom, I think, told me, read all of the book of Philippians, or something like that. I'm like, that's going to take forever. And she's like, no, it's not. <laughs> you know how you have that perception, oh, I'm going to have a Bible study, and you read through a whole chapter, and what did it take? You know, five minutes. And we sit through like a TV show. And by the way, you know, we have this perception that people don't like reading these stories anymore. But what do people do all the time? They sit down and they watch a movie. What is a movie? It's a story. People love stories. And as little children, this is an area where we've kind of focused with our family devotions, is reading through the stories, the stories of the Old Testament. And I would encourage you, especially if you do have younger children, to read through some of these stories. And some of the principles then that we're going to work through today, I, I pray the Lord might use those, these principles so that you could then see what the narrator is communicating. And then you could say, oh yeah, okay, this is a focus point. And then you could br- bring that out for your children. And so then it's not just, wow, that was a really interesting story. Man, Naomi really had a tough time. Wow, do you see what Ruth said there? That was really kind of neat. Then it might be a little bit more of, oh, look at Naomi. Huh, what do I need to be? What do you need to be? And then you can apply it more accurately. Now, this is going to be more of a workshop. I'm going to walk you through some things, and we're going to go through one point, and then we're going to look at the text. We're going to go through another point, and then we're going to look at the text. And these points that I'm making, that I'm putting up here, they're not going to be all just like, hey, you got to go through point one, and then point two, and then point three. No, it doesn't have to be that way. Sometimes it's like you might hit point three first, and then point two or something. They're not a sequence. Um, it's kind of like a whole package. And sometimes certain things jump off of the pages to me first as opposed to later. The first point, though, that I want to make is that one of the parts, and, and this is with narratives, is that you find the narrative mainline. And when I'm saying a mainline, what am I talking about there? The narrative mainline is like the main guts of the story, okay? In the Hebrew, a lot of times you have these conjunctions, and everything just kind of seems like a run-on sentence, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened. That's the main line, all right? Take a look at Ruth. Look at Ruth chapter one. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. What's the next word? And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man's name was Elimelech. Okay, so you just have this And then uh, later on in verse 2, and they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then you have this conjunction in verse 3, then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. Okay? What is this? This is the main line. This is the main guts of the story. And this is an important part of the story because these are the details to get to something. Are you following me? What happened in verses 1 through 5? A lot of things. What does it say at the end of verse 5? Or I'm sorry, in verse um, 
4, in the end of verse 4. And they dwelt there about 10 years. Okay, do we understand? There was a lot of time that happened in verses 1 through 5. There were a lot of things that happened in verses 1 through 5. Now, as the narrator is telling the story, and he's got to get you to have some background information, all right? You know, why are these ladies in Moab and there's no men? Well, well, there had to have been something that led to that. After all, she's Jewish and she should be in Bethlehem. Well, that's what verses 1 through 5 are doing. Do we understand that? That's the main line. It's the main base of the story. Now, how much time transpired between verses, say, uh, 6 through 19-ish, all right? What's different about verses 1 through 5 and verses 6 through um, 18, really, 6 through 18? How much time do we have there in verses 6 through 18? I mean, we had 10 years in verses 1 through 6, and we had a conversation in verses 6 through 18. Is verses 6 through 18, is that the main line? That's not the main line, okay? The narrator has done something. What's he done? He's like, bam, bam, bam. Bam, this guy died, this guy died. They married these wives, or, and then the guys died. Boom, boom, boom. All this stuff's happening. Then all of a sudden, they're walking on a road, and we have this big, long conversation. What has the narrator done? <sighs> He's slowed down. He's developing the story. Because it's a story. A lot of times, even movies are constructed this way. You'll have these little snippets of back story, you know, because they've got to set up the situation that's going on right now. Well, this is the setup, verses 1 through 5. It's the narrative main line, and it's building up to the story. All right, so that's the first, uh, first point. Identify the narrative main line. The second part is locating the scenes. Where are the scenes in Ruth chapter 1? Now, I want this to be a little bit of a workshop-ish, all right? So I'm going to sometimes just kind of explain what the text is, and at other times, I'm going to throw it out to you, all right? So here, where are the scenes in Ruth chapter 1? I heard something over here. Moab. We have a scene in Moab. Okay, very good. And what section of the text is the scene in Moab? And we could even be more specific than just Moab. How could we be maybe a little more specific with that scene? Louder? I still didn't catch it. It's the second scene, all right? Okay, so the second scene would be the, the Moab. Hmm. What's the passage? Where would that scene be? As you think through even a movie, what do you have? Or especially like, uh, like a drama, like a play that you're watching when they're putting everything together and there's a scene and then all of a sudden, you know, the curtains close and what are they doing? They are cleaning off the scene and putting different props on and they're changing the scene. Where does the scene change in Ruth chapter 1? Maybe I'll go at it that way. Louder? Okay, at the end of verse 18. So what's the scene at the end of verse 18? 
Where are we now? We're in Bethlehem. Now, that's not that difficult, right? We can identify the different scenes. We have one scene, and I would say that it's on the road from Moab. That would be scene two. And some would even say that scene one, verses one through five, is that even really a scene? Some would say it's not really a scene. It's just kind of setting up the story. The first scene is then verses 6 through 18, and then the second scene would be in Bethlehem, where you have the ladies of Bethlehem making their comments. So when you're thinking through a story, okay, there's been a transition point here. There's now a new scene. One thing that I've tried to implement with my children in reading God's Word and reading the Bible is we've bought uh, what's called a reader's Bible. And so when we'll read for like family devotions in this reader's Bible, there are no chapters and verses. Because when I noticed when my kids, when they would read for like family devotions, what would they do? Oh, how much dad do I have to read? You know, an underlying assumption is when can we get done with this? (laughs) And so, you know, well, let's read a chapter, read two chapters. Okay, son, I want you to read 10 verses. Well, if there's no chapters and verses, then what do they do? Think about it. What do they have to do instead? They have to think about the story. (laughs) They're not just trying to get to the end of their chapter. And then what are they looking for? The end of a scene. So often when we're reading through the scriptures, we're just trying to get to the end of chapter one. Instead, we need to look at it as an actual story And look, oh, well, here's a dividing point. In fact, look at Ruth chapter 1. Look at verse 22. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now look at this last verse, or this last part of the verse. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. What's up with that? What's up with that sentence? It's just kind of like, oh, okay, now it's giving us the time frame when they appeared. Well, what's the next chapter all about? There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. So what's chapter two about? Food. Do you see how the text is transitioning from the path to Bethlehem to now the provision of food in chapter two? What is that last sentence doing in chapter 1? It's helping transition into chapter 2. It's almost even setting up the scene of chapter 2 more than it's doing anything in chapter 1. If you have chapters and verses, you're just going to read to the end of chapter 1 and then you're done. But that last line of chapter 1 verse 22, some would contend it fits better at the beginning of chapter 2. And by the way, are those chapters and verses inspired? You better believe I ain't, (laughs) particularly in the Old Testament. (laughs) Um, Anyway, don't get started on that one. Let's, uh, let's, 
Okay, so we need to first identify the narrative mainline. The second thing, we need to locate the scenes. And I accidentally hit the button and it went to the next point. And that's the third point, and that's to recognize the characters. Now, this is probably the most valuable part of uh, Hebrew narrative, and this is what helped me the most as I read through these stories. Thinking through, who are these characters? Who is Elimelech? Who is Ruth? Who is Naomi? Now, when I ask that question, you're automatically thinking, well, I don't know automatically, at least if I was in your shoes, I'd be automatically thinking, oh, yeah, Ruth, you know, she's this young lady that does this and blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah, Naomi, you know, she's that bitter lady in chapter one that's really nasty and blah, blah, blah in chapter one. And you think through, oh, yeah, they lived in the time of the judges. And you're thinking of all this biographical information. That's kind of the way that we're geared. We think that way. A lot of times because of our culture, we think of the upbringing, you know, what was Ruth like as a child? What was Naomi like as a child? What led them to this stage in their life? The Hebrew narrator, they don't care about the upbringing. They're just there. We don't hear about Ruth as a little Moabite girl. We don't see anything about Naomi. That's not what I mean by recognizing the characters. How is the narrator portraying the characters? That's what I'm talking about. Let's look at some three different kinds of characters, and then we're going um, to, after we look at these four, three different kinds of characters, then I'm going to give you a little bit of a caution, and then finally we will um, try to identify which character might fit into which category. So the first kind of character, I have three different words to describe this kind of a character. The technical term is that they are a round character. They're round because we see all kinds of different facets of their, of their character and who they are. Another word is that they're a full-fledged character. You know what word I like to use? They're a major character. They're important, <laughs> okay? So this is all just to describe this same type of individual. It's a fully developed character. Their thoughts and emotions are either described explicitly or as a reader, you can discern what their thoughts and emotions are. The reader gets to know this character and they can identify with them. So whose emotions do we get to see in Ruth chapter 1? Who's the character that is really developed in Ruth chapter 1? And by the way, you can be wrong, okay? You can be wrong. It's okay to make mistakes. And there's some subjectivity to this. So if you think that somebody's something and somebody else, you know, you and your wife, you might think that somebody's round and somebody else is something else and you disagree a little bit, you know, I don't want to create some kind of problem in your home. But does any kind, anybody have any input? Does anybody just from reading through Ruth chapter one, do we have any round or full-fledged major characters that this just kind of screams out, that's that kind of a person? Naomi. Naomi. And you just shout it out there because what do we see? We see her emotions and how she's hurt and she's even bitter. And she's like, the hand of the Lord is against me. Naomi is this round character, this developed character. She at least is the round, a round character in the story of Ruth. Okay, our second type of character is the flat, the type character. When we say that they're a flat character, you know, the round character, they're fully developed, the flat is like, they've squashed them down to like one characteristic. This is just that one big main concept that the narrator is trying to communicate. 
So this character is also a very important character. When you can identify a flat character, you can then say, hey, guess what? This might be something that the narrator is really trying to teach through. A round character can often be taught through as well, but the type character, that's a character that, oh, this person's a type. It's somebody I should, I should model or shouldn't model. So who is the flat, the type character? They're a character who's only partially developed. They're flat. The narrator focuses on only one or two traits. This character often functions as an example of what one should emulate or avoid. Huh, so this is the person that I should emulate. This is the person that I should not emulate. So, for example, in the story of Ehud, okay, you know, the Ehud, the left-handed warrior that goes and the big fat king Eglon, all right? It's kind of an interesting story there in Judges because we don't get a lot of information about Ehud. He's just coming to bring this tribute to fat King Eglon, and he goes into the, you know, chamber to give him a message from the Lord, and then he delivers the message from the Lord, okay? And then that's it. He runs away and leads a revolution, and, and they kick him out of the land. So Ehud is kind of, he is a type, a flat character, and he's a model. Yeah, you know what? We need more Ehuds in our world that just go and deliver the message from the Lord. No, 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 no. Okay, see, that's that whole Old Testament, all right? But think about, you know, being a Jewish boy and being this mighty warrior that took great risks and uh, sought to liberate the children of Israel from these foreign oppressors. And he became an example to them in that way. So anyway, I'll come back to Ruth. This will let me be a little bit easier. As we come to Ruth, is there a flat? Is there a type character? Now, in every narrative, there's not a flat character. There's not a flat. There's not a type character. Sometimes there are. Sometimes there aren't. So you might read this story, and this is sometimes when we can have a little bit of even discussion. Because you might be thinking to yourself, huh, who is Ruth? Who is Ruth? Is she a round character? Or is she a flat character? Is she a type? Hmm. I'm going to let you think about that for a little bit. What's that? In this chapter, it's hard to tell. So in the second chapter, we have a different kind of a Ruth that's being developed, and we see a little bit more of Ruth. Correct. Good. <laughs> And that's in Ruth chapter 2. And I would make a distinction between Ruth 1 and 2. And I would say, who is Ruth in chapter 1? Because in chapter 2, you are correct. We see the, more of the developed character of who Ruth is in Ruth chapter 2. That's a, that's a good point. So in Ruth chapter 1, I want you to just think about, is Ruth a round character or is she a flat character? Okay, so there's one other type of character. And this is the functionary, the agent. This is a minor character. Um, this is a completely undeveloped character. Their sole function is just to move the story along. Okay, so as we think through all of the characters here in Ruth chapter 1, I've kind of already given, well, no, you guys, you guys said it, you said it, that Ruth, or that Naomi was a round character. 
And I've kind of toyed with you a little bit on Ruth. Is she a round character or a flat character? Now, what about these functionary agents, minor characters? And think through Elimelech, Machlon, Kilion. You know, Machlon, Kilion. You know, who in the world are those guys? You know, I had a Hebrew student one time, and he, he, they, my Hebrew students always have to pick a Hebrew name. And this one guy picked the name Machlon. <laughs> Machlon, really? That's what you're going with? You know, of all of the names, okay, you picked Machlon. And he's like... Yeah, it means sickly, and my wife says I'm sick all the time. (laughs) To each his own. And it's kind of an interestingly named individual. Hey, sickly, you know, because what happens to him? He dies. Okay? Uh, By the way, who was Ruth's husband? Machlon or Kilion? And Ruth 4, you actually see who the husband of Ruth is. I'll let you look that up on your own. Okay, so who are these characters? Elimelech, Machlon, Kilion. Are they flat characters? Or are they just these functionary, these agents, these minor characters? What do you think? Louder. So I've got a functionary over here. What do I have over here? Okay, so he's thinking Elimelech is a flat character, and then Machlon and Kilion are the agents, the functionary characters, the minor characters. Good. I love disagreement. (laughs) No, actually, what I love is thinking. And when you have some differing opinions, guess what you have to do? You have to think. And you have to think for yourself. And that's really the exercise here, is I want you to think through who are these characters. Now, Machlon and Kilion, they are very just, they're there. They marry a girl, and then they die. That's it. Okay? They are functionary characters. And so we have agreement there. Now, what about Elimelech? How is his character developed that might lead us to believe that he's a flat character or that he is a functionary character? And if I could pick on you, what were your reasons, and this would be helpful for everybody, why you would prefer to think of him as a flat character? Yes, so Elimelech is leading his family out of, out of Israel into Moab, away from the land of Israel. Okay, so I can see why you would conclude that, hey, Elimelech seems like a flat character of what you would then not do. I'm guessing that's where, generally speaking, the Jewish people were supposed to stay in the land. (laughs) Okay, any pushback on that? Somebody not like that idea? Do you have reasons for not liking that idea? So is he just moving the story along? The character of Elimelech, is the character of Elimelech really developed? Let's read the text. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. 
The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Machlon and Kilion. Okay, so how does the narrator develop the character of Elimelech? Through the situation, okay. Good. All right, okay, so I was thinking of, I'm going to let this tension just kind of stay here. All right, I'm going to go into my next slide, the next point of reading narrative, and then let's come back to this. This is what I like about, I don't know, I'm kind of teaching, but we're in the Word, and trust me, we're going to have some application at the end. Now, this last point is a caution. A lot of times when we look at the text after getting this kind of information, we're like, oh, that person's round. Oh, that person's flat. Oh, that person's a functionary. The Hebrew poets weren't writing with these modern methods of characterization in mind. They were writing a story. And so this is a caution. There's no real line separating these three types. The difference is a matter of degree of characterization rather than the kind of characterization. So, for example, is Elimelech a little bit more developed as a character than Machlon and Kilion? Well, yes, you have a little bit more information because he's the one that led the family out of the land of Israel into Moab. Whereas Machlon just marries some girls and then kick the bucket. <laughs> Similarly with Ruth. When we think through who Ruth is, whether she's a flat character or a round character, to just kind of pigeonhole characters sometimes. You know, even as our brother here mentioned, in Ruth 2, she seems like a round character and is much more developed as an individual. But in Ruth 1, is she that flat character or is she that major character? Well, creating a clear line of demarcation may be a little presumptuous. Okay, so the characters. The fourth point that I want to look at, and hopefully you're taking notes in your little booklet things on this, because we're going to want to come back to that information. The fourth point is that you discern the point of view of the narrator. Where is he focusing in? Okay, what's his, what is his focus? So let's discern the point of view. There are four different points that I want you to um, to think through. First, in discerning the point of view, understand that the omniscient narrator is God. We have the perspective of God as the narrator. And this is a very widely recognized um, uh, point. As you're reading through the text, if the narrator makes a statement, okay, you can bank on it. That's true. If somebody says something that doesn't quite seem true, it probably isn't. Were there any statements made in Ruth chapter 1 that didn't quite seem true? You better believe it. Where did we see a statement that really wasn't true? This is where you can even just read through the story yourself. I want you to get to know the story a little bit better. Look at it. Where's a statement that we see, man, this doesn't seem true. Somebody's not thinking correctly. Yes, Naomi's speech at the very end. Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full. 
and the Lord has brought me home again, empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me, the Almighty has afflicted me. So what does the narrator then say in the next verse? So Naomi returned, and what's the next few words there? And Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her. What did Naomi just say? I've returned empty. Now the narrator comes in and says, there's somebody with you. So discerning the point of view, first remember that the omniscient narrator is God, and that, what they said there, is true. Second, the naming. How does the narrator name or describe the characters, particularly in relationship to one another? Let's look at the very beginning. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab. Now, look at the naming here. He and his wife and his two sons. So, what is his wife's name? Naomi. How is she named in Ruth 1? 1. Ruth 1.1. 1. His wife. What does that communicate? That communicates the primary individual in the story. It's not Naomi. It's Elimelech. And Elimelech is named by her relationship to Elimelech. Naomi is named by her relationship to Elimelech. And similarly with the two boys. Now continuing, the name of the man was Elimelech. Okay, and then... um, They went to the country, verse 3. Then Elimelech was the description there. Naomi's husband. Oh, do you see the naming? What changed? Do we see what changed there? Who's now the main character? Naomi. Elimelech is being described in relationship to Naomi. Naomi's husband. Who's this Elimelech guy? Oh, that's Naomi's husband. He died, and she was left, and her two sons. So how are the sons described? How are they named? They are named in their relationship to the main character. The main character is Naomi, and these subsidiary characters are named and how they are related to that main character. Now, what about when we get to the girls? So Machlon, they live, and they, they die, and they marry, and then they die. Then verse 6, then she arose, and then what do we have here in verse 6? With her daughters-in-law. Who's the main character? Naomi. Okay, do we see that? Through the naming of the different parties, you can see who the character is that the narrator is focusing on. Her two daughters-in-law, the primary character is Naomi. The daughters-in-law would be these, um, their importance in the story is in their relationship to Naomi, the primary character. So the naming, do we understand naming? The naming and how they're related to one another. Now, uh, third, we have the inner life. What is the character thinking or feeling? Okay, so paying attention to that. That's kind of piggybacking on the uh, round character, which we kind of talked about already. 
Um, so the inner life, what is the character thinking or feeling? The final point is, I'd say, the most important one, and that is the direct discourse. The narrator does not need to give us the very words of the characters. They could just say, and Naomi heard that there was bread in Bethlehem, and so she went to Bethlehem, and Ruth the Moabitess went with her. And that could have been the end of the story. But that's not the end of the story. What did the narrator do? He slowed down. He gave us the very speech, the very words of Ruth, of Orpah, of uh, Naomi. And there's a reason for that. Oh. Okay, so thinking through, these are our four, our four points, and there's all of the stuff. I just kind of blabbed it all there on the uh, last slide. And I want to think through this, and I want to come back to Elimelech. What are we thinking with Elimelech? As we think through discerning the point of view, Elimelech is the primary character for the first two verses of the story, or three, and then he dies, okay? And the focus then shifts to Naomi for the rest of the story. I would contend that Elimelech's probably more of just a functionary agent. I think that he's just psh, getting the story going. There has to be a dad to make that decision to then take the people into Moab where they can meet the two girls and then come back. So that's my personal view. You can disagree with me. They're not clearly defined categories. Elimelech is more developed than Mahlon or Kilion, but that's where I am with it. Okay? I think that he's a functionary character. I want to focus a little bit more on Ruth, and I want to focus on the character we haven't mentioned yet. Who's that? Orpah, you're all wondering and waiting. <laughs> Good. Who is Orpah? Is, is Orpah a round character? Does anybody think that Orpah is a round character? Okay, I didn't think so. Now, does anybody think that Orpah is a flat type character? Okay, I've got some hands there. How, how, does anybody think that Orpah is just a functionary agent character? I thought I'd get a few hands there too, okay? She's just kind of on the scene and then boom, she's gone. All right, she weeps with her mother-in-law and then boom, she's gone. I'm going to argue that Orpah is actually a flat character. We don't need an Orpah in the story. Do you realize that? What does she do? She leaves. As a character, she's there to teach us a lesson as a flat character. See, we don't often, I don't know, at least I should say we. I, I, whenever I say we, I'm usually saying me. <laughs> and this is how I read this story for a long, long time. I mean, man, what are you signing up for to go back to Bethlehem with Naomi? We don't understand that, and that understand that situation and how terrible of a situation it could have been for Ruth or, or Orpah. Um, and this is where having a good commentary or a good study Bible can really help you understand the cultural setting of the book of Ruth. Think through the book of Judges, and I know I'm assuming some biblical knowledge here. If you're wondering, what was the book of Judges? You know, what was that time frame really like? Well, just go and read Judges 18 through 21, okay? And you'll see the devaluing of, uh, of, a, of a woman, okay? And um, 
how dangerous it would have been for a Ruth or an Orpah as foreigners in that land, okay? It was a very dangerous situation. Furthermore, you know, they didn't have some good five-year plan or whatever. When they get to Bethlehem, the five-year plan was basically to die. That was literally about all that you had. There was, there was no hope. Um, look at Naomi at the end of Ruth chapter one. She has no hope. That's why she's saying, Ruth, go back. I'm gonna go back to Bethlehem and die and that's just gonna be it. Leave. And Orpah recognizes the wisdom of that advice and heeds the advice of her mother-in-law and, and goes back to her mother's house where she would have security, where she could be remarried, and then she would be able to have this good life. Instead, what did Ruth sign up for? The probability of Ruth being molested and killed was extremely high. And if she's not molested and killed, the probability of a life of poverty was extremely high. There was nothing that she could do. She's going out into the fields to gather the grain, okay? She is having to work to get that money. You know, if you're going into some stranger's field to get the money, you are putting yourself at great risk <laughs> as, a, as a foreign single woman in that culture. You know, when Boaz comes to the field in Ruth chapter 2 and he sees Ruth out there working in the field, what is the question that, he's asked, that he asks? Whose young woman is this? Whose young woman is this? In other words, to whom does she belong? Because every woman would have had some patriarchal individual that was going to be their provider and their protector. And who does Ruth have? Nobody. Which is why the foreman just says, she's Ruth, the foreigner. And everybody knew who she was. In the providence of God, she's led to this field where she's safe. Orpah understood the risk. Ruth understood the risk. Do we understand that? And Naomi understood the risk. And she's like, I don't want to put, this in, put that on them. Go home. Be safe. Go home to your parents and have a good life. Don't come with me. And with that in mind, I want to read verses 16 and 17 again. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn, turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. So we look at Orpah and we're like, man, you know what? <laughs> Orpah is pretty wise. She's like, I'm not going with this old lady and dying, living this life of poverty. But what does the narrator do? How does the narrator view Orpah? She's a type. 
She's a type of a person that abandons a frail and old woman to be exposed to poverty, hunger, even at her own wishes. It's easy for us to look at an Orpa and say, yeah, I understand if I was in that situation, that'd be wise. Wise? What's wise? How are we defining wise? Oh. Maybe it wasn't wise. Maybe that was actually wrong. Maybe it was sinful. And maybe my definition of wise is worldly and not biblical. You don't abandon the old. Don't be an Orpah. And I don't know your situation, but I think that's one message here from Ruth. From the characterization, as we read through the characters, we can see these characters being developed by the narrator. Flat characters are important. You have two characters, two daughters-in-law. One that models... um, One that models love and self-sacrifice at great loss and potential hurt. The other that abandons the old and the impoverished. And what does the narrator say to do? The narrator communicates you love and you serve. Even if it costs you everything, you love and you serve. Okay, so there would be an application from Ruth chapter 1 as a, a result of the studying of the characterization of the, of the different characters. But I just built an application off of a type. Who's the round character in the story? Naomi. Think about the round character of Naomi. And this time, I'm not going to... I probably shouldn't have given you that last one, but... <laughs> Sometimes, you know, just that preaching thing gets into you and just kind of go, you know? All right, so um, in Ruth chapter 1, let's think through the character of Naomi. And I want you to think through, how does the character of Naomi um, uh, apply? What's going on here? Is this a point of application even through this character of Naomi? So, I'm, I'm okay taking time. I'm, I'm fine with silence. You know, I'm, I'm more of a teacher than a preacher. So I'm going to be quiet for a little bit. And you read through that story. Think through the character of Naomi. I'm going to give you two minutes. When that clock says 1024, I'm going to start asking some questions and seeing what you saw. What do you think about the character of Naomi? How is the narrator developing her? Feel free even just to talk with your spouse or your neighbor, something, you know, you can even discuss it amongst yourselves.
We have about one minute left. Okay, it says 1024, so we're just going to come back to it. Now, as you spend a little bit of time uh, looking at this text and thinking through the character of Naomi, what do you think? What is being taught through the character of Naomi in Ruth chapter 1? Louder. She appealed to the law? Yes, okay, so you're bringing up a good point that I've kind of bypassed and probably shouldn't have. (laughs) The law, all right? Uh, According to their law, the way that um, the death of a firstborn, the way that it worked is that a younger son would then marry um, the, the the deceased brother's wife. Okay, so you're familiar with the uh, Old Testament law with that component, and I shouldn't have assumed all that knowledge, so I apologize. We could go back to Deuteronomy 24 and 25, and we would see the way that things worked in that culture was the firstborn, he was the one that was supposed to get two-thirds of the estate. So when dad dies, two-thirds of the estate goes to the firstborn, and then one-third gets spliced up amongst all of the other sons. So, uh, Machlon is the eldest, and so he's supposed to get two-thirds of the estate. We know Machlon's the eldest because of Ruth chapter 4, okay? Um, so, that two-thirds is supposed to go to Machlon, and then Ruth would be the, the daughter that needs to be married off, specifically, uh, to, to, that, um, to get that estate, all right? Uh, that is a really important part when it comes to Ruth chapter 4, which is why somebody doesn't want to marry her, all right? Uh, so that's the way that they did things back then. I know things are different now, but that was how they did things back then. So you have the law component. What else? What do we think of that character of Naomi? She appeals to the law. She's like, can I have a child? Is this really a possibility? Even if I had a husband, are you going to wait for him to get old enough? Then the implied answer from her question is no. Okay, I've got a hand over here. Yeah, okay, so her life had basically, quality of life, <laughs> had decreased substantially. Originally, she had a husband, she had two sons. So as a woman in that culture, her life was very secure. Even if her husband passed away, she had two sons, not just one, but two sons that would sustain her and take care of her in her old age. That's a very important point when you get to Ruth chapter 4, at the end of the book, okay? But now... With the death of her husband and the death of her two sons, she has nothing. And it's actually even worse than that because her two sons were married. Do we understand that part of it too? 
They were married, and they seem to have been married for several years. What did it say? How long were they? What's the time reference that we get in the text? Ten years. Now, in that culture, having children was just, I mean, (laughs) a big important thing to do, all right? Everybody had children. There's no, you know, family planning, we want to wait a couple of years or any of that thing. No. We're having kids as soon as possible. Now, if you've gone 10 years and you've not had kids, and some don't think that it was in 10 years that they were married. Some think that the 10 years was the whole time in Moab. Either case, they were married for quite a period of time. They had to have been married for quite a period of time. And what didn't show up? Babies. There were no babies. There's no sons, no daughters. Okay? Who's in control of that? God gives conception. God allows a child to conceive. Yes? Louder. Okay. And what do we see in the text that where we see that? Verse 20. Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home empty. Back in verse 13. No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Was God in control of her situation? Did God allow Elimelech to die? How did he die? Because of some wicked deed for taking his family into Moab? The narrator doesn't say that. Who's the omniscient? Who is, who is the narrator? The narrator is the omniscient God. He doesn't castigate or judge Elimelech for going into Moab. Mahlon and Kilion die. Why? The narrator doesn't say. It's not important. They're dead. Naomi thinks it's bad. Well, she's telling a lie there. See, her perception, her point of view is that God hates my guts. The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. What is God's plan here? What is God doing? (sighs) So Elimelech wasn't living by faith by leaving the land. And there's a lot of uh, writing on that. And some believe that you're correct and some disagree. Because the narrator doesn't say anything about it. And Abraham even left the land for food on a couple of occasions. So to simply leave the land for food temporarily. uh, The text says that he was sojourning in the land of Moab. It doesn't say that he dwelt in the land of Moab. So sojourning seems to be more of a temporary residence as opposed to like the living in the land of Moab. So, but there's a fair amount of discussion on the sin of Elimelech and whether or not he should have left the land. But the narrator, interestingly, doesn't seem to care a whole lot. He blasts right through that, and his focus is on Ruth and Orpah 
and then Naomi. So Naomi has the hand of the Lord that goes out against her. Her, father, her husband dies, her two sons die. The, the two daughters-in-law cannot conceive and have a child. Do you ever thought through, what if God did allow conception? What if God said, yes, you can have a child, Orba. Yes, you can have a child, Ruth. What would have happened? Would they have stayed in the land? Would they have gone back to Bethlehem? Hmm. Quite likely, they would have stayed in Moab at that point because then you would have this child that would be able to sustain them and provide for them and take care of them. Who allowed or who prohibited, better word, who prohibited conception? God did. The Lord was in control of that. The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. No, it hasn't. That's a lie. Was God in control of the situation? Was God in control of the death of Elimelech, the death of Mahlon, the death of Kilion? God was in control of all that. Was God in control of, the, of the, uh, the lack of conception with Ruth and Orpah? You better believe it. God was in control of that all along. What did God want? God wanted a Ruth in Israel as a widow, to teach us a lesson. To teach us a lesson about sacrifice and love and loving an old and infirm woman. And I don't know, and also Boaz, which we didn't even get to, and I don't know what's going on in your life, but as bad things happen, whatever you're going through, I would contend it probably couldn't be worse than Naomi. Her five-year plan was more of like a 90-day plan or a one-year plan. Go back to Bethlehem, beg, get food, and die. That was the plan. Ruth accompanies her, and she doesn't have very high prospects either because who's going to want to marry a woman that couldn't conceive for a number of years? And furthermore, if she could conceive, her... Uh, inheritance would then be subsumed, Machlon's inheritance would be subsumed, and, and uh, it would be a huge financial loss. Nobody's going to want to marry her. Nobody. It would be a huge financial liability, and she can't have kids anyway. I mean, it would be a big mess. Forget it. So what do we need to do? Well, God was in control. He was in control in the death. He was in control of the lack of conception. And whatever you're going through your life, guess what? God is in control. And what does he expect you to do? To be faithful and obedient, just like Ruth. Living sacrificially as a servant, just like Ruth. When you come to an Old Testament Hebrew text and you're reading through a story, I want to just finally, I can close up here, encourage you as you look at the characters, don't just think of even just one application sometimes. Sometimes the application comes from a flatter a type. Sometimes the application comes from a round character. I think there's two primary applications in this text coming from Orpah, what not to do, and Ruth, in this case, what not to do either. Don't question the goodness of God. He is good. He's brought tragedy in your life for a reason. Let's trust in him. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you for this time that we've been able to get into your word and study Ruth 1 and study Hebrew narrative. I pray that as, as we read your word, we might have greater understanding in it. Um, 
I pray for each one here that they would have a love for the Old Testament, uh, reading it and understanding it. And I pray that it would not just be a reading of an interesting story, but they would see the theological and practical truths and that they would apply them to their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.